1: Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. One final announcement, guys, before we get to today's show, is that I'm delighted to announce that in partnership with Middlesex University, the Amateur Football Alliance, Middlesex and London FA, respectively, that the Coaches Network will be hosting its first live event on Friday, the 1st of April, where I'll be joined by the legendary ex-Academy Director of West Ham United, Tony Carr. Tony will be joining me to discuss over four decades of youth development, With West Ham United, and to share some key insights from his upcoming book, which will be released on April 11th. And to top it off, guys, anyone that's an FA licensed coach will also be accredited for two hours of CPD for their attendance. And this is all for only £10. It is an evening not to be missed. And to top it off, until the 23rd of March, we have limited early bird tickets for only £7.50 each. So to find out more information or to register your place, please head over to Eventbrite or click the link in today's show notes. And I hope to see you guys there. But enough of my ramble on. And on to today's show.
0: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.
1: Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast. A podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy.
2: One of the first things that sprung to my mind was thinking about at an academy level, for example, and it's similar to grassroots. One of the first things we used to think about was what age group are we looking for? What type of talent are we trying to recruit for? Whether it was to fill a particular spot or a, a position and how we would design it around that, whether it was open trials, whether it was access into training with the actual age group that those players will be going into. So that again, the players have got access to actually seeing, you know, who's on the team and they're able to make those decisions as well because it, it goes both ways for me. As much as, you know, you're trying to identify players and you're making judgments on players, they're equally judging us, aren't they? In terms of our environment, how we coach, who is the coach. So we used to always, whether it was grassroots or academy level, used to make sure that we were quite consistent, but you had your best on your best look on. Who's the who's the coach that that player is going to be working with? It was some of the top players that they could be around. How does that facilitate their development, or not, as the case may be? You know what what's the best role for that player? I mean, I've had examples where, at, uh, as a head of coaching at a Category Three academy in England, we did it where we had open tryouts. We had across different age groups. We, we created loads of fun games and that was main structure of it. We got the players playing straight away, warmed up straight into games and, again, seeing them in their positions, but then having the flexibility to go, why don't we try that player who's, who's – uh, we did this one year, for example. Uh, one player, I can't say his name, obviously, but um, he's a scholar now and he was playing as a striker suppose he's scoring loads of goals at uh, his club level, at grassroots level. He was recommended to, by one of the staff on on the team. Why don't we have a look at him as a defender? He's got some interesting traits. It'd be interesting to see what he's like playing in that position. I know he plays typically as a forward, but I think in this group and within the pathway that we have as a club, he's probably got a better chance as a centre-half <laughs> or something else. So we made sure that within the structure we had that flexibility that we could put people in different positions. And he was, and again, you're assessing their coachability, aren't you? So he went in, he did that. It was a great opportunity, um, and he did well. And uh, you know, weeks on later, he ended up catching loads of people's attention, and he flew. This kid, he was he was flying. But then we've had other examples where we've we've designed it where it's not necessarily been straight into games. You know, I've done things, whether it's at academy level in the pro game, whether it's um, grassroots level in the UK or in the US, where it's an actual training session and coaches out there per se with a clipboard and pen type of thing or an iPad and they're making notes on an evaluation sheet. Um, I mean, I've got my preferences. I don't know what yours are. I, I, I'm not a, a huge fan of that. I, I'm more around can we get them in a training session see what they look like in training, how they interact with the players, what's their coachability like, how do, how do they do when they receive coaching what's their response, what's their typical response, what are they like in certain situations so we would actually involve them in as many different training sessions as possible and actually training on similar nights to where we would train and that would be another one and we would structure our our trials around that and then obviously we had an acronym. So one of the things we introduced at a club, which guided our tryouts, was an acronym called Game. And it was a bit of a, a cool thing with the kids in terms of as the player got Game. But what we were looking for was as he got Game intelligence. What's his attitude, um, movement capabilities? So how well, how good is he as a mover? You know. So again, looking at that from a physical perspective, as well as his intelligence to find different ways to move, twist and turn, agility and so on. Um, And then obviously uh, his energy. What energy did that individual bring to the group? So that was a huge piece around that sort of social, psych social corner and looking at, well, is this the right individual to go into this environment or not? How would they be with other players? And we would often evaluate players across that whether it was game intelligence, whether it was, do you know what, he's, stra- he's got an outstanding attitude. You know, in other clubs, it was attitude, effort and ability, and that would guide it. In these clubs, it was game. Great attitude. He's got some good game intelligence. He's he's showing some good solutions. He's trying to solve problems. He's making runs to get the ball off the keeper. Physically, perhaps, there's some um, growth potential there for sure. Um, Movement-wise, he could do maybe a bit better. What's his energy like? How does he? How does he affect the group when he's with them? All these type of things, and then, again, we would structure trials and tryouts around that. And I'm I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on some of those things.
1: Yeah, there's you know there's a lot that you've kind of gone into there, and I think you know there's a few key things that really popped up for me to start with. And I think going into any sort of environment when you are holding a trial or tryout trial uh, in, in the first instance, I think it's important to understand what the, the purpose of that trial is. And, you know, it might sound quite straightforward in that, oh, you know, we're trying to see whether the player is good enough to be in a particular environment, whether that be at Grassroots Academy or whether that be, you know, at, at a college or a university, whether that be, you know, whatever that environment might be. And, you know, essentially the process is to kind of deem whether the players are, not just the right level of ability but have the right mindset right attitude and whatnot to go into that environment so i think there's a few different factors to kind of really talk about there you know and if you look we you know if we look at the question that was put to us is really looking at the structure and the format of the trials or the or the, or the trial in the first place now i think it'll be good for us to maybe delve into the different Environments and how that might impact on the on the on the decision of how to how to run these things and what the purpose is for them. So I think first of all, from a grassroots perspective, you know, I think it's looking at do we really need trials at grassroots? Um, is it is it, is is there even a need for it? And obviously, there's going to be certain environments where players are not necessarily. Strong enough to be in certain teams but there's enough teams out there that really is a, is a trial even needed um, you know especially when it comes to now looking at the female game as well I know that from experience in the past where I had a project that I put together we you know we set up an environment where actually it was female only there were, there were, you know foundation phase players and the whole purpose of setting up the environment was actually there wasn't enough female only environments you know for girls to play where actually they could just show up and play. As, as, as maybe a young boy would. You know, there's so many clubs and so many opportunities out there. So, it, you know, that we actually went out of our way, myself and the person I was working with on that project, to set up this environment just so girls could just show up and train and play, whether they felt that they were, you know, at the right level, if, the, if, if there even is a right level or not. Typically, because of the number of opportunities that were available to them in their, in their game, it was almost, yeah, you've got to do a trial. And if you're not good enough for the trial, well, you know, there's not a place here for you. So I think it, that's the first piece, just looking at the purpose of the trial and what, you, what the intentions are for it. I think um, secondly is obviously looking at in terms of the structure element of it is how long should a trial actually be? What are we trying to capture within that process? You know, if if we're, tr- if we, you know, if we're being true to ourselves and saying that, you know, it takes time to build relationship, it takes time to be effective um, and, and, sh- and demonstrate impact, as coaches, then shouldn't that be the same for the players that we should kind of extend that same perspective to the players? So maybe just a point of discussion should be how far or how long and to what extent should that trial take place? Because, you know, if we use the the P as an example, typically that, you know, you get two, two options where a player might come for two weeks, they get kind of an oversight of what the player can do over two weeks. And if there's still a bit more interest, then it might extend it to a full six weeks. Now, within that time, you're actually getting plenty of opportunities to see whether that player is right for your environment. Whereas if you flip it on the other side, resources can also be, an, you know, have an impact on that. Where, you know, you talked about being a head of coach in a cat three club and having an open trial. Sometimes, you know, you have an open trial because you just need to get players in the building. Um, but then, how do you effectively assess how many players should be in that process, and how do you effectively assess whether they're actually fit for fit for purpose? Because Within that process, you're only going to get a snapshot of them, especially if you're doing an open trial generally. You're probably going to have a larger number, which means there's less size on a, a larger number. And there you then have to now assess, right? Depending on how you structure that, you know, I've been in situations in the past where, in an open trial, as an example, it might be an open training game where, you know, you have, or you do mini tournaments where you have like a mini seven aside, and actually what you're looking for is players that are going to be playing 11v11. 11 11. Is it is it the right format to really assess them in? Or potentially, you might be doing some sort of technical circuit and physical physical circuits to see what you know how they perform physically, what are their capabilities, what are some of the things that they can do technically. But again, is it the right format, or are we just trying to squeeze people into a process because actually that's what that's all the resources can allow at the club? So I mean, there's a, there's a lot to kind of go into there, and you know, I guess one of the things I would say is because it is such a snapshot moment, is that enough for actually for it to be considered even a trial, or is it just? Here's a snapshot, if that makes sense.
2: No, I mean, there's some there's really good points that you've made there, to be fair. And it's interesting because I having done it in different countries as well, I would say you've got a trial. But at the same time, I'm, I'm going to answer a couple of those things, actually. From And again, agree, disagree, it'd be great to hear. Obviously, with the P, you made reference to that. And as you know, you've got, a limitation how long you can trade, you can have them on trial with you for. Some, as soon as you do the official, there's ways of bending the rules for sure. And people do do it when they shouldn't do it. But I've had it where we've had kids on six weeks, but then, and it's not right because sometimes you can mess these players around. And that's what I would say don't mess players around because you know you're playing with people's dreams. But obviously, some kids, it's, if it's not been officially. Um, put down as a recorder as an actual trial for the EFL uh sheets. I can't remember what the form is, but there's a certain form you have to fill in, isn't there? YD10 or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, then obviously, it's it's difficult. Like we've done it where it's we've had them in for a few weeks and then we've filled in the form to give them longer to go to your point, which is that snapshot is not the best, not the best way. I personally don't like the way that it's done I don't agree with tryouts in the US I think it's it's horrible it's a horrible experience for kids you're putting them under pressure and you're putting kids in these environments where they've got to try and show the best and they're all nervous and coaches are treating it as you know you were good one year but now you're not and we're cutting you and going to your point you know where can you find kids to play and You know, for me and and the clubs that I've always been a DOC, I've always made it clear to the coaches, we're going to find a place for this child to play. That's our duty of care. We have to. We have to find somewhere for this kid to play. So, um, but going back on the the P and the the trialling, and again, there's restrictions now. They're probably a lot hotter on it now than when they were years ago. You know, and you can't trial with another club, and then you can't, once you put them on a trial, that I don't think they can come back again with the same club, can they, or within a period of time or whatever. And it's difficult because there's limitations on the player as well. Um, I don't know if it's the best structure or the best environment. You know, take the US, for example. I would say you've got a trial. That's grassroots, that's top elite grassroots, if you like. But I would say you've got a trial because it gives there will be parents that if he didn't trial, and I'm sure this will be the same in the UK, he didn't attend that trial or trial, whatever we want to call it. They'll be like, well, is this even you know, real? And it probably takes away the value, diminishes the value of what's going on. So some actually prefer that they've got to trial, um, even if you're giving them all a place anyway. I think it's key to think about, are we just filling rosters, which is what you were alluding to, or, Are we going into detail around what's the level of competition for that child and where's the best team for them, which is what we should be thinking? Again, you made a great question there, which is, you know, that phrase you used, you said, what are we trying to capture? And, of course, it's very difficult to do that in a snapshot. But the reality is, is that there's league rules that will dictate, you know, in certain states in the U.S., trials tryouts are very different in every state Some, like in michigan it's the same period every year in june and of course you can do like an open tryout in the week leading up but typically you do most of your business on the saturday sunday you're filling up the scraps of teams whether you're light on a couple of numbers or you're filling up on any couple of uh you know i hate saying like first team second team third teams but you you fill up on the, on the remaining numbers. In other states, it was done during weeks. You know, like in New York, we had it over a period of a uh, couple of weeks. So they attended training sessions. So we did the tryouts on the same night that that team typically trained. And again, in other states, it's completely different. What I would say, going back to the question around structure and, and format, is having a consideration for what time are they training and why, or trialing and why. So you know, try and be clever with it. If you're looking for players for a particular team, have similar age groups trialling at the same time, if you can. At least that's what we did in the States and I will continue to do, and I have done for years, is that we would have, you know, if we've got U7, U8 age groups, they'd be trialling exactly at the same time as the U9s and U10s. Because the U9s, it'd be a case of, can one of those... Um, or at least for maybe the first half hour of that U9 trial. Because it, it's a great opportunity where if you've got somebody who's really strong as a as a U8, are they good enough to play across into the under nines or not, if that's the right thing for them to do. U7, U8 is great because you might be able to make that decision of, have we got enough numbers or not? If you haven't got enough numbers, do you need to combine age groups? That's one thing. Certainly in the UK, you're talking about girls, right? As you know, certain age groups you might need to combine. It might have to be a U7, U8 because you haven't got enough numbers and you grow it from there. Some it's because you've got too many numbers so you can create multiple teams across those two age groups. There's different reasons, isn't there? You know, we would definitely have U9s, U10s, u 11 U12s all on similar pitches or within the same complex if you've got that opportunity. Again, it comes down to space but we would try and structure it where they were trialling at similar times because, again, it just allowed that if you're looking at someone who's a new 11 player or whatever birth year, again, if you're wanting to make that decision of, do you know what, is this the right thing? Could he he play with the, or she play with the age group older than the chronological birth year? And if so, does that create a, a great opportunity for us to potentially look for somebody else, because there's a couple of players here that we don't want to lose. We definitely don't want to say no to them. They're interested to join. So perhaps that solves a lot of problems that we can move that player to play with that older age group, if it's the right thing for them, and they're going to get challenged. And then it also frees up a couple of spots for the the kids who wouldn't have made it otherwise, because that kid's blocking that pathway, if that makes sense. And then equally, you might, and, I, and even in doing that, sometimes I've registered them for the year group below the eight, young their age, because it still gives them the flexibility that if the need to, they can play at their natural age. Always play up. Obviously, in academies, it's different, isn't it? But in certain leagues, at grassroots level in the UK or New Zealand or America, there's certain restrictions. Um, but when it comes to structure, I would be looking all the time at what age groups are trialling at the same time. And we even did this at academy level. We would have very similar age groups trial at the same time because it was a great way to to do a comparison as well and look at who are the players in the next group. How do they compare? Can these players play, play across age groups or whatever? Do we need to combine if we haven't got enough numbers? Um, you know, that type of thing. And again, I think it's... In an ideal world, you'd look at them over a number of weeks. Of course you would. Number of months, number of – but the reality is that we're dealing with competition. Everyone's competing for spots, so you can't actually do that. And it's more hostile in, in America than, than anywhere. And it's similar in Spain. They'll have – obviously, it's a pay-to-play market, and they'll have trials, tryouts, very similar to the US. So, again, it's, you've got a very limited window. Um, and we can see in the UK it's getting to an extreme where it's becoming younger and younger isn't it where at the top level they're trying to find that talent younger one thing I would say is you've got to be able to do your business and get them in because you can't miss out whatever age group you're at or level but then if you're as an example with grassroots level and it should be the same academy if you've said to a player that he's good enough it's very difficult then to say the following year we're going to get rid of him or there isn't a space. So when we were, if you like, and I said this at clubs, I was a director of coaching at, when they're retrying out, if you like, I would always say, as I, as I repeated before, I would be saying, There's, we've got to find a place for this player to play. So it's a given that they are going to find a place. It might not be the place that they want, because they might want to play on that you know, 2006 age group, on that particular team, but they might that might not be ready for them, you know, whereas this level of competition would be. And I think going into Trout, you've got to think about who's the coach, um, what level of competition are they going to be playing in, what's the games program going to look like. We would have that all mapped out. I don't know how well they do it in the UK. I think sometimes a lot of it is per week reactive. I don't know from your experiences. Um but from mine, it was almost like you'd have your normal games programme and then anything else was a bonus and they'd often be organising games week to week or teams would drop out or, you know, whereas f- from my experiences of running clubs, we would have everything mapped out in terms of in the winter, we know we're doing this. In the summer, we know we're doing this. And again, that would influence our tryout or our trial because that would have a huge Uh, thing in the back of our mind when we're looking at players, when we're thinking about is this the right environment for them or not type of thing Um, and again time you know with the younger ones we would normally do about 40 minutes, no more than an hour U7, U8 and then I think from 10s upwards we'd normally do about 90 minutes Um, but most of that would be playing in little festivals and little little tournament-type games, for sure, just keeping them playing. Um, And again, I think it's got to be a two-way process. And I think part of the structure, you've got to embed communicating with parents. A huge part of any trial, whether it was at academy level, whether it was me working as an under-21s coach and I'm physically going to games, I'm watching a player who was a Norwegian youth international, and we're trying to make a decision of whether to sign him or not. He's playing at... Uh, Farsi Celtic so I've had to go to that ground again or whether it's in the States parent engagement was huge I think actually having time where you're talking to parents and you've, you you built that time in
1: and you're answering their questions that's going to be the key I think you're spot on there's you know so many considerations that we do need to make and as you know there's you made some really good points about you know the environments that we're in and you know sometimes it's if I go right back to the top of when you just stopped, when you, when you jump back in there you talked about you know not stringing players along and I think some of the things that need to be highlighted especially if we're looking in a more professional environment and I'm sure you've heard of I certainly haven't heard of it and seen it myself where some players actually get brought in with no intention of them becoming well, you know a professional footballer themselves but actually some players get brought in and potentially even Kept in for a potentially to stop any other club jumping on them, b um, actually to bring in some reasonable or different types of challenges for the players that they're actually prioritizing within the environment. So, if you've got let's say a group of 15s or group of 16s, you know, you got three or four that are being really they're really prioritized as yet, these are the players that we're really trying to push through. If any of the others get through, then great, you know, that they can but if you know, otherwise. These are the three or four that we're really targeting. So, can we keep the group at a level where we're going to constantly allow them, to them three or four, to be challenged? I think one of the other considerations people should be making as well, especially when you're in a club environment, like you know, in the, you know, in this case, the EPL or even in, in any sort of performance setting, is who is going to be coaching these players to? Are they going to fit in well with the coach that's might be potentially taking them on board? You know, you talk there. A little bit about playing, playing players up, playing players down. You know all these things that I've already been kind of planned for. Uh, you know, you talk there about you know some players coming in and maybe having to be released a year later. Now, you know, if you're bringing a player in and you're then having to release him in a year, I think there's, there's, there's some questions that need to be asked, and I think a lot of a lot of coaches, a lot of clubs, maybe don't like asking this question or maybe even answering it. Is why is that place? Why did that player not achieve what? You guys set out for him to achieve now. Obviously, sometimes when you look at a player, you you might bring them in and think, right, you know, let's let's see what we can do here. Let's try. It's a bit of a gamble. It's not really a sure thing, and and to be fair, it never will be. But there's some people you probably might be get more confident of getting something out of than others for one reason or the other. And I don't think there's enough considerations paid to actually what and in fact, how much do we already know about this player before they come in? What and how much do we you know anticipate? this player will need once they do come in? And what does that look like? Is there certain things that are going on in the environment they're currently working in or playing in that's allowing them to thrive and flourish? Are we aware of what those things are and are we able to still cater for, cater and provide for those things in this environment? And that's not to say that the world's perfect and you can kind of give them whatever they need and whatever they want all the time. But if we have an understanding of what those things are, then we're better placed to kind of cater and, and support them with that. And I think, you know, you made a great point about Parents, and I think generally for me, it's not specifically about parents, but more specifically just about the networks in general, the supporting networks. So, whether that be parents, whether it be coaches from the existing clubs or pre club, you know, past clubs, to find out as much as we can about these players, you know. And I'm the, the final thing that really kind of to touch on is why are we bringing this player in? And what I mean by that is what is, what is that thing that stands out about this individual that I said to us. We need to have him in this environment. Or we need to have her in this environment. So, as an example, you know, if I bring Gerard into my, you know, my grassroots FC under 15s academy or whatever you want to call it, you know, I'm, you know, I've just we've just become a professional club. We're now in the E Triple P. As an example, I've got a Cat Three, Cat Two academy going. We brought Gerard in, right, Gerard. We're bringing Gerard in because he's actually a top finisher in and around the edge of the box. We know we're going to get, we know that is his specialty. He can, he's a, he's a, he's a top centre forward. He can, you know, he's a great link-up player, he potentially drop in as a number 10, but actually he's fantastic. And his skill, is the super skill that he's got is literally that finishing in around the edge of the box. And I see far too many times where players are brought in for a specific reason and never really supported in enhancing that. So then a year run, they now release Gerard. Gerard's been released. Well, why have you released him? Well, you know, he hasn't he hasn't really improved. His finishing hasn't his finishing hasn't even got any better. But the question is, did you what did you do to support him with that? Did you make him a better finisher? Because that was the reason you brought him in. Now, yes, we want to sort up, upskill the players, make him a bit more rounded, but at the end of the day, we don't want people that are too well rounded and, 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 and no and not specialists in anything. You know what I mean? It's like that age old saying of being a jack of all trades and a master of none well, actually, there's a reason why you brought this player in. So how do you make them a master at that while upskilling them on everything else so that you're not left in a position where in a year or two or three you're saying that the reason you brought him in is the same reason that because he didn't develop that skill set further is the same reason that player is no longer with you. And, you know, it just reminds me of this one other instance where uh, a coach was... I can't can't, can't remember which club it is now, to be honest, but... um, an academy, Cat One Academy in in, in England, and player said we've had this player on you know player for three years. Um, you know he's too one footed. We've had him for three years. How can you ever play for three years and he's still too one footed? Who's at fault, the player or yourselves as coaches? Because it's easy to get rid of the player. It's a lot harder, I think, for people to accept that you need to take responsibility if that player hasn't developed. I'm not saying it's all on the coach or all on the club. But you, I think coaches need to start taking more responsibility. So, you know, the few considerations I would make is when you're looking at bringing a player in, what are we bringing him in for? What what purpose are they going to serve here? How are we going to add value to that player as well as that player add value to the to the setup that they're coming into? What does that player require to kind of further flourish and further enhance and develop within the environment? How can we best support that as, as an environment? Where are they coming from? Is there, you know? Is there a specific things that we need to be aware of when they're coming into this environment that they're still going to be able to, still going to need that we we, we at this point in time maybe don't have in place if that makes sense. You know, I've, you know, I've gone on a bit, little bit there, but there's a few considerations and a few points off the back of some of the things that you've talked about. I think there's been a lot of, if anything, hopefully this conversation so far has given people a lot to think about in terms of how they would, a. Potentially hold hold a trial if they were to hold one. The reasons behind the trial um, having an impact on them, but also what we're looking for within players and athletes. Sometimes when we are even putting them through that process,
2: honestly, that's incredible. I think there's so much there, and just comes back to the the first also reiterating in my mind was that importance around knowing knowing the player. And again, how much detail do you go into the history, medical, whatever it may be? The coaching age, how many years they've been coached, what's their playing age? Yes, we know the chronological, but it goes into that detail of physical age, age uh, chronological age, again, technical age, tactical age, if you want to look at it like that. How much experience have they got playing that level of competition? What's their previous experience? What's the training age as I've mentioned already? There's so many things that we don't always factor into and we're making judgments on these players saying he's no good or he's good or he's this, he's that, as you said. But actually we're going, hang on a minute, he's only really, he's only been training for a couple of years. Yes, he might be however many years old, but actually his experience so he's doing really, really well. Who are the players around them? That's really key. That's a great point. Who are the players around them? and And again, knowing that pathway, why are you are bringing them in uh know what you're measuring. Do you have a tool that you use to measure? so I shared one, for example, where we I designed everything around game. What is yours? you know, and I know for years there's been different acronyms are banded around, but is there something that's really clear and concise that again, you can refer back to that relates to your values on how you're going to identify talent? And what talent looks like, because then you can start going into the detail around, you know, high performer versus high potential, or is he high potential but he's not high performing? He's low. Which one is it? Is he high performing and he's got high potential? It's all those type of things, and they're probably topic
1: for another day. Uh, no, I, I think they're definitely. You know, that's a, that's a whole another Q and A session right there. But I think it's just something exactly. Been just, that. I think it's really important to understand this, and I think. When you are whatever environment you're in, there is there is a probably a, a I don't want to say definitive, but close to definitive outcome of what you're hoping to see from a player, um, in the type of player, the type of person that you want to try and develop in the system. Now, I think the question you've got to ask yourself is: is what's more important? If you're especially if you're working with youth players, are you trying to develop players that are going to go on and have a potentially a career in the game? If you're outside of grassroots and you're working in a more performance-based setting. If you are, what does that player look like? How important is it that the player looks like the model that you've kind of put in place, or is it better to maybe have a framework? And I think that's real, real key thing for me to get coaches to consider: is are you working to a model or are you working within a framework? And yeah. if you're working within a framework, you've got there is flexibility around being able to support the needs of an individual. So I'll give you an example: you know, it's, you're not going to have a cookie cutter environment. cookie cutter environment is probably something that's based on a model rather than working from a framework you you work in a framework and you get loads of different types of individuals yeah you might have similar characteristics but you allow for creativity flexibility and actually some differences between the individuals so that if they don't necessarily fit the exact model the exact spec that you've kind of placed on it then you know that actually That player, we've we've still got a pathway for him. You know, imagine now if all of a sudden, um, you know, BMW said, "Right, we're only going to do, only going to do one three series. It's not going to have any levels. It's not going to have any of the extras. It's just going to be a basic car." Well, actually, they've limited themselves now because so many people will go and purchase the vehicle only because it's got the extras in it, and that's fine. That's not a problem. But then you, you know, by not having the option available to you, and that's not even just for the player's sake, but for the club's sake. We're missing, you know, they could be missing out on so many different players because they're so set on trying to develop players in a particular way, which again calls into question: Are you as a coach, or are you as an organization, effective enough at your jobs in producing and supporting them with an, with a program, with a development plan, whether that be collectively or individually, to actually help these players get to where they want to get to? And the reality is, if you're working in that performance setting, your job is simple: your job is to help these young players become professional footballers. Or, worst case, land themselves a career in a game somewhere.
2: Yeah, exactly. And really,
1: we want to be going even deeper, don't we? Where
2: it's, we're developing, in, they're getting so much experiences, whether it's at grassroots. I mean, we're seeing a lot of great work going on at grassroots level now, more than ever before. Obviously, there's still a long way to go, whether it's in the pro game, wherever it is, they're getting exposure to analysis, they're getting exposure to videos, different types of coaching so yeah if we can develop them in a way where they, they've got really great leadership skills and they're good people then they should be able to fall in any category in life shouldn't they but no this has been great and I think there's a lot of things there that even we're probably scratching the surface on that will end up being Q&A's in, in other topics that we could do which is cool Um and obviously I'm I'm curious to see what any questions we may we may have opposed to us. Anything you want to add, Lastly, Yaz, or do we want to open it
1: up for the Q and A? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to open it for Q and A. You know, just want to kind of remind everyone that you know, if you don't have a, you don't have a question right now, that's not um not the end of the world. You can obviously drop us a DM, drop us a message, um, because we will be back here every single Sunday as well. Um, You know, we've always got different questions coming in. We've even got a bit of a a schedule uh, for the next few weeks around what questions and topics we're going to discuss. So, yeah, you know, it'll be great to get some questions, get some interaction from some of the guys we're listening in. But if you haven't got any questions right now, feel free to drop us a DM when you have.
2: Yeah, perfect. So if there's any questions, feel free to raise your hand and we can unmute you.
1: Doesn't look like there's any question. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe we um, maybe <laughs> we might board them a little bit, but um, or maybe they're still digesting, which is you know definitely a positive. So, I, I do have one for you though, Gerard. Go on. Just to round up, you know, obviously context is key. Environment is obviously important. But what what are, you know if you could maybe summarize, what are some of the key maybe three three top things that you're looking for or you're looking at in Um, a potential player that you're going to bring on board through a process of one of your trials in in, in environments? It's tough because
2: I've always got to try and check and challenge myself around confirmation bias. I'm trying to be more aware of it and obviously it's a good thing. It doesn't always have to be a bad thing but recognising and there's different levels of bias and we can go into that and I have a ton of those through the platform you learnably. There's a million and one courses that you can access to Stretch your learning, but often I think there's a danger that sometimes we'll we'll tend to gravitate towards certain things, and then as a result of that, we can miss players that actually could and and should be in our environments and have a right to be in in our environments. But because we're potentially drawn to, you know, let's say you know those, I I was quite um, an aggressive player be somebody who I, I would love I love players who uh, compete cover ground again might not be the biggest they're clever they find little ways to get out of trouble they can deal with body contact they can move the ball quickly away certainly the little boys and I'll have a, a potential preference around certain traits and characteristics around those but then there's a danger then I might miss another talent who might not look like that or look like certain things that I would go, that's what I look for in a player. Those, you said, those three things or whatever. And equally then we can miss that talent, can't we? So I think as any coach listening, just be really careful of that. Know exactly what your biases are and try and get people to challenge challenge your bias. Have more than one person looking at it. I would always look for attitude. You know, my first thing would be, why are they here? What motivates them and why are they here? What's their attitude to learning? Where where do they want to be? I think that's a great want...
1: point. Just just on that though, Joe, you know, you talked there about attitude. How do you assess that in such a, you know, I use the phrase that I put forward earlier in, in such a snapshot moment? How do you assess someone's attitude? Because, you know, let's let's be honest. You know, these young players, if they're thrown into that environment for the first time, where they're going through a trial, that yeah. in itself can add different pressures and potential anxieties that they're going to have to deal with. Uh, you know. If we even if we look at it from a coaching perspective, you know, even in the here over here in England, they've changed the way they they, they assess courses and and put people through coaching qualifications because they recognise actually having a pass a fail assessment doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't it doesn't allow you to see people flourish and people actually settle themselves and actually be authentic and as, as they would be if they were away from that environment itself. So, h- how do you assess attitude in that type of space?
2: Well, yeah, and you're right because it is horrid. All those things that you said; those environments are really tough, um, and they're not necessarily the best. I would typically try and look at designing certain situations that will make them wobble, even in a tryout. So, yes, it should be a safe place in terms of, you know, shows what your best looks like, uh, and equally making sure that you're giving them more than one opportunity because. You know, they might not do great on day one, but on day two, they could do a million times better. And often, that's happened many times with me. Certainly when I've done back-to-back days or over a period of weeks, you actually find that over time, they can surprise you with other stuff. So again, it's... But you've got to... For the coach, they've got to be patient. They've got to have seen enough to be able to do that, right? To give them that chance. Attitude, I'd be looking at. How do they respond to... Positive uh, feedback, how do they respond to what could be deemed as negative feedback? How do they deal with trying to make them wobble? So, if there's certain decisions that might go against them, if it's a referee call, if it's VAR, if it's whatever you do in your environment, how do they respond? Because I've seen some players respond with, and again, it goes on to emotion, so, but respond with like petulance or get frustrated, or if they're making mistakes, they get frustrated or. Um, they might have a negative attitude towards being around certain people that they don't particularly like, you know. So that you you'll be able to spot that they'll be they'll gravitate towards certain things, maybe even certain people who they're familiar with, but they might not in other environments, you know. So it's not being subjective; it's trying to be as objective as possible. But looking at attitude in those ways, and that's how I would try try to. I look at attitude of. You know, does he show this or uh, this willingness to want to just keep fighting? Yeah, they've got knocked down. How do they bounce back up? You know, Arsenal Soccer Schools, a great example. I'm running these advanced skill centres, and we would do like a trial to get in, and we would identify players. And bear in mind, we were a business, so in, in a lot of logic, you'd want everybody to sign up because it means it's more commercial. But we would actually do it where if you're in the development centre, you get in, the, in those advanced skill tiers. you know, it really meant something. And I always remember this kid, and he, he didn't quite do great on the first couple of bouts, and he wasn't ready for that level of training yet. And he needed still to just enjoy where he was at with his local club. But what I did was I said to him, we can't fully accept you, but I just sensed there was something about this kid that I don't know what it is I can't describe it, but there's just something about him. I still remember his name, still keep in touch with the dad. This is two thousand nine and we we invited him back. We invited him back to keep coming, and again, he wasn't part of that actual group, but he was allowed to train and then over time he got better you know and it we did I did something similar actually with Rochdale years ago. There was a kid called uh well, I won't mention his name I should be bad, but he he'd got released by uh Stoke and he'd come in on a trial. And we actually, he didn't necessarily have the best uh, trial experience, but there was something in there with his attitude. And again, Tony being the academy manager, with unbelievable experience, he saw this kid's uh, potential. And he, he was like, no, we've got to stay with this kid. There'll be something there. Let's give him a chance. And again, his attitude led to him overtaking other kids. And this kid ended up, bearing in mind he got released by Stoke, he actually ended up signing a scholar with Rochdale. He was in and around the first team. He'd done really, really well. Um, So again, that would be the first thing for me, attitude. And then obviously, um, and it's difficult, but there'll be be certain things that are tangible that you can, either through instinct or you can measure in other ways, that you'll definitely be able to bounce off. And then I, I would look at how good do they move, Movement's a big thing because whether we want to accept it or not, the game is ba- based on invasion. You're invading space. You have to be athletic. You've got to have some kind of athletic potential. And the higher you go up, it's only going to be more uh, demanding, right? Would you agree? As you've got to be quick, you've got to, you know, acceleration, de-acceleration, agility. I mean, they're rapid. You know, you look at some of the top players, They're bl- they're really quick. So, you know, I think athletic potential and and movement capability, those fundamental movement skills, you've got to have. If they haven't got them, then you're making the judgment call on, you know, what do we need to put, what programme do we need to put in place to develop this player in some of these areas? And can we? You know, and I I hate to say that phrase, like, is it too late? Because it should never be too late for anyone, but obviously... Science does tell us that there's advantages to getting in early, isn't there? And obviously, if you leave things too late, it can be difficult later down the line if you're talking about teenage players where a lot of the movements are already built. Again, I've used this phrase many times. Um, sorry for the long answer. Every player has their own unique movement signature. So that's not to say that you know they have to move in a certain way, but um, definitely I would be looking at movement and then the third thing always is coachability which probably links to attitude and it's interesting how out of those things I'm not looking at the technical or the tactical or the foot skills, that's not to say you wouldn't because of course you would but I do believe that you can develop those through your practices and through repetition without repetition and a lot of design you can develop those competencies but the kid, it, if the kid can have all the skill and the talent and the flair in the world, all the creativity, but if his attitude is poor and he's not coachable and he can't move, I think you're gonna have a problem, you know. So, um, yeah, those would be my three.
1: No, I think you're spot on. I think there's you know there's there's a lot of uh, detail in there in terms of how you would assess their player. But I think really it comes back to the whole, the whole you know, if we look at the full corner model, how, how how effective are they in the psychological corner? How how flexible are they able, in terms of, you know, being able to adapt and uh, flex within different environments and work under different pressures? But, you know, I think the reality is, as as, as important as technical and tactical information is, it's probably not the most important thing, especially when you come, you know, when you kind of look at the fact that, the amount of players that you probably have come across, I know I've come across where you think, "So how the hell did you not make it as a player?" Because outstanding technically, but maybe, you know, is your right. You know, the attitude piece, and I think it's a really important piece for coaches to consider.
2: And uh, thanks for another one. I'm looking forward to next week, and yeah, let's keep it rolling.